It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Have some fun. Welcome to Friday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. John Schmelk, Lance Meadow, Jeff Fiegel's with you. The telephone number. Our good friend Brian will be screening your calls at 201-939-4513. You can also send in your tweets to hashtag GiantsChat, or if you're not on Twitter, go to Giants.com slash podcast slash questions, and we will get to your questions that way. Meadow, Detino, how are you gentlemen doing today? Well, Paul, since, are you all psyched up for tonight? Well, since you just called me Jeff Fiegels, I better <laughs> practice my punting. Wait, wait, I said Fiegels when? You did, you said Fiegels. What? <laughs> When? When? In the intro, I said Fiegels? Yeah, off the top. Yeah. Well, I just called you Detino now, so there you, you go. Did, That's a you did. You did. But but it's okay because I'm stretching out and I am prepared to participate tonight if they need me on special teams. Now, Paul, in fairness, I mean, I think we'd all rather have Fiegels here, right? Without a doubt. Oh. Don't worry, Paul. Just so you know, I'm keeping track of some of the brain farts this week by Schmelk. Dude. He <laughs> referred to Wednesday as Tuesday earlier in the week. I did. So That's true. this is really nothing new. No, it's, not, it's, it's nothing yeah. new. Hey, guys, you know what trader cam's like, man? Your brain slowly gets fried <laughs> yeah. the deeper you get into it. Well, to be honest, in, in answer to John's question and kind of also making a comment off of what he just said, the fact that we're doing this scrimmage tonight and it's a pseudo preseason game, which is a pseudo regular season game, we are now two pseudos removed from reality. And to be honest with you, I'm probably not nearly as jacked up as I would hope to yeah, be. And Lance, the one training camp thing that's different this year, well, not the one, but the one major thing that's different is, you know, in past years, you have these preseason games to break up kind of the monotony of things. You just, you know, don't have that this year. You know what I mean? It's just not there because you don't have any games. But this scrimmage is the is the best facsimile of one where maybe you're, you're going to learn a couple things that you wouldn't be able to see at practice. Yeah, and it's no different than what every other team is dealing with right now in the NFL. I don't know if you guys have watched Hard Knocks, but the Rams, they had parts of their scrimmage that was on the last episode. So every team is trying to break up, to your point, the monotony of what's going on throughout the course of camp because, you know, we're used to there's a travel day here or there when the team goes on the road. They have a day off after a game, and then you're able to break down some film and so forth. You just don't have that. So everybody really has had to adjust and adapt. And, you know, this is something as close to game action as humanly possible, which is what we're all yearning for. As Paul noted, you look at the calendar, guys, we're less than two weeks away from the opener between the Chiefs and the Texans. Yesterday was officially two weeks, and so now we're less than that. So before you know it, we're going to have meaningful football games, which I think throws tonight into that urgency factor where these guys need to find ways to get amped up because they have to realize it's not just you making an impact on the coach's tape so that they give you a reason to want you to have a spot on the 53-man roster of the practice squad. It's also to get yourself amped up for the fact that in less than two weeks, you're going to be lining up against an opponent that is unfamiliar, and it's going to be a meaningful game that actually reflects that way on the standings. 
Yeah, no question about it. And I think you'll learn something about, you know, maybe exactly where the coaching staff thinks certain guys are going to be on opening day, what the starting lineups are going to be. Now, unfortunately, due to reporting rules, we can't really give you that information. But by the way, folks, in case you didn't know, if you want to see the scrimmage, it will not be broadcast live tonight, but it will be shown on WNBC at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. And then after that, it will be up on the Giants YouTube channel, the mobile app, Giants.com, and you can watch uh, the the scrimmage then. So here's how it's going to go tonight, guys. I don't quite know how live it's going to be in terms of is it going to be tackling? Is it going to be thud? Will some sessions be yes? Will some sessions be no? I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if you guys, Paul, maybe you know. I don't. So we'll have to wait and see in terms of how much contact there's going to be. But uh, they're not going to make like two separate quote-unquote teams. It'll just be offense versus defense. And that's how they're going to kind of work this so the offensive coaches can work with all the offensive players and all the defensive coaches can work with all the defensive players throughout the day but there's gonna be four quarters they get they're gonna let the team move the ball up and down the field uh joe judge hopes to get a two-minute situation a four-minute situation red zone situation so if those situations do not come along naturally he might insert them at some point over the course of the scrimmage but the hope is to just let these guys play and experience a game-like situation so they're ready for Pittsburgh. And, boy, we're getting on like 17 days now, right? Man, <laughs> it is coming up. Yeah. You know, I think the one thing we should also make clear to the fans out there, John, and Joe Judge did mention this to the writers, I guess it was yesterday, that over the course of the last couple of weeks, the Giants have done evening walkthroughs on the stadium field. So this is not the first time they've been at the stadium. They had a, a, a semi-walkthrough, a glorified walkthrough, even the other day when they let the writers into the yeah, building. Yeah, Wednesday. Yeah, so, so uh, you know, this may be like to the world outside, oh, wow, they're going into the stadium. This could, Truthfully, it's probably old hat to these guys because they've been through that building so many times, even the young guys and the rookies and the new players who are coming in. They've already got a feel for the building, so it's not really that big a deal to be on this stadium surface. Well, no, I, I, I wasn't trying to make that out to a big deal. I was just trying to make it out that this is a game situation yes. with time, yeah. getting the offense and defense off the field, making adjustments on the fly. Garrett and Graham will make calls from the sideline over headset. All those things that is really all the team can do at this point, Lance, to simulate an in-game situation as much as he can. Yeah, and that's why I think the fact that the Giants, as well as other teams doing this, is going to help them in the long run. I think it's actually a very wise decision. I also like the fact that, as Joe Judge mentioned when he spoke to the media the other day, that he's not breaking the teams up, where it's Colt McCoy on one team and Daniel Jones on another, because... If this is also a simulation of a game, and Judge actually emphasized this, and I don't think this has been discussed enough across the NFL. Patrick Graham, I think, even brought this up, guys. They have to dust off the rust themselves. A lot of these guys haven't called plays and games since December of 2019, or maybe the first week of January, depending on how the regular season ended last year. It seems like it was ancient centuries ago. So this is also extremely important for the coaching staff. Let's not dismiss that, and let's not overlook that. And I've talked about this during the offseason. The jargon... The interaction between coordinators and middle linebackers and quarterback is extremely important. You want to be able to get a feel for that before you actually have to do it for real in week one. So getting back to why I like the fact that they're not breaking it down into two teams is 
Jason Garrett should get a feel for Daniel Jones as much as he needs to for Saquon Barkley and Colt McCoy and everybody else that's on the first and the second team. You don't want Jerry Shuplinski, I'm just throwing out a hypothetical, to be the play caller for the second team and Garrett for the first team, whereas there's going to be guys on the second team that are going to make the team and they're going to get into plays with the first team. They're going to have to get an idea of how Garrett calls plays, the flow of the game, and the feel for the other starters. So I love the fact that the offense is going to be on one side, the defense is going to be on the other side. I think that's a good way to help build continuity moving closer to the season. Now, I think the question would be then, well, then how do you keep score, right? If, if you're going to have a situation where there's an offense versus a defense, well, they have developed a scoring system. I don't think you guys know this yet, so I'm going to give it to you. And this is how they're going to keep track over the course of this you know, scrimmage tonight. And this is going to be on, again, if you want to see this scrimmage, make sure you go to WNBC at 6 p.m. on Saturday night. You can watch it there. I'll be all the Giants platforms after that broadcast is over at around 7. So here's how this is going to work. The offense is very simple. Uh, touchdowns are six points, field goals are three, extra point one, two-point conversions two. Well, here's how the defense scores points. A defensive touchdown, they get 12 points. Three and outs, three points. Forcing a turnover, interception, fumble, three points. Forcing a turnover on downs, two points. Forced punt, one point. Two-point stop, two points. Field goal block return for a touchdown, 12 points. So they will be keeping score, and the defense will get points for these individual plays that they'll make over the course of the scrimmage. It's like fantasy football, essentially. Yeah, Paul must love this. <laughs> Paul, Paul's like, oh, oh he's man, doing he's great. Yeah. Oh, we got to keep track of points here. It's great. Hello? <sighs> he's breathing heavy. I mean, <laughs> look. They want to the... create a competition atmosphere. I you know what get I mean? it. I get it. I mean, look, I'm more interested. Such a curmudgeon. Jeez. <laughs> this is harmless. Paul, you know, this is harmless. It really is. It, really, it, come it, on, it, it is. It is harmless, but you know what? I would so much rather right now get a look at what Darnay Holmes could do in the slot against Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, you that, are. You know, that's yeah, what you that's are. what I want to see. Well, yeah. Well, you're gonna see how he does in the slot against Golden Tate, isn't that well, good enough? I, I, I know, I know, I know. And Sterling Shepard. I miss. I love preseason. Of yeah, course. But, well, that's yeah, why there's only so much you can take away from going up against your teammates. So you see, I'm, st- I'm, st- I'm still yeah. having a hard time dealing with the reality that there are no preseason games. I just love it so much, and I miss it so much. And this is just going to have to do. That's okay. all. We are well, going to, John. Buy, the the one other thing that I wanted to add, real quickly. Yeah, go ahead. If you don't mind, it was. Of I'm course. actually surprised that I thought maybe they were thinking of doing the scoring and I know maybe it's not an even playing field but to create competition the first unit versus the second unit and just whoever scores the most touchdowns and so forth well since they're splitting it up offense defense and those are the two quote-unquote teams that's why you don't want the offense competing against the offense you know what I mean because they're not going up against each other so I think that's why they're doing it this way understandable um, we are going to take your calls at 201-939-4513. We're going to do some defense over-unders as well over the course of the program. Before we get to that first set of calls, though, guys, what's the one major thing, and if you want to throw in a second one, I'll let you, that you want to see at the scrimmage tonight that you're anxious to set your eyes on? Paul, why don't you start with yeah, you? Yeah, because he's overly anxious, yes. so why don't we start with him? <laughs> Uh, you know, I would really like to see uh, Ballantyne play really, really well opposite Bradbury because that's the corner spot that most people have questions about. 
you know, we believe that Bradbury from his NFL resume is a guy who's going to handle the other side well. He has struggled some during training camp. I'm not going to hide the fact that I wish he had come in at a little bit of a higher level. And again, we've seen veteran quarterbacks not do so great at camp before and then come out and they have really good seasons. So no doubt. Only, the, the only, you know, grain of salt with all that stuff. No doubt, because his game tape last year showed much better. And so I still assume that that's what he is as a player. But Ballantyne is a guy who's really he's he's being asked to take quite a large step this year if he's going to be the starter on the other side of the field. So I would really like to see Ballantyne have a good night. Or, by the way, another outside cornerback. Take your pick. Somebody needs to step up for that spot, whether it's Ballantyne or somebody else. Yeah, I, I think that's very fair. I think Ballantyne is, is the lead horse in the gate right now, so I'd like to see him seize the position. Well, friendly enough, he's probably one of the more veteran guys competing for the <laughs> spot in is. terms of playing experience, which yeah, is right? nuts when you think about it. Lance, how about you? Well, I was going to throw out the cornerback position overall just because I think you're going to get some one-on-one matchups between receivers and corners, which to me is something to emphasize more so than the overall production of the team. But I'll flip over to the offensive side of the ball, not to be repetitive, and I think you got to go to the offensive line. And Andrew Thomas is going to be as close to a game before it really counts that we're going to see him hopefully be tested against various different defensive linemen. I hope that Patrick Graham gives him some good looks. I know he's focusing on his defense, but be nice to see Andrew Thomas, you know, get a full display of linemen and linebackers that he has to try to handle throughout the course of this game because, you know, if he's got to go up against, once again, T.J. Wan and Bud Dupree week one, uh, this is going to be as close to a tune-up as humanly possible. So I, I would think on the offensive side of the ball, all eyes would be his side. Well, I'm annoyed. I should have went first. You guys took the low-hanging fruit on me. I'm not sure where to go now. Uh, <laughs> seriously, I mean, I, th- I think those are the two it obvious. It comes back to bite you. I you think see? those, look, I think those are the two obvious answers, right? I think You don't you think look- Daniel Jones is pretty obvious too? Well, that's where I'm going to go with number three. <laughs> Okay. Okay. <laughs> That's where I'm going to go with number three. There you go. Um, That's exactly where I was going to go. But I do think in terms of big questions, uh, the offensive line and cornerback are the two ones right now with, you know, especially when Nate Solder opting out and, you know, DeAndre Baker not being here, Sam Beal opting out. All those things together make those two positions one to watch for sure. And they have young guys at those positions, right? So you want to see them in-game situations, which I think is also important. And, you know, throwing the gates, right? This is his first really in-game action at center. You want to see how he does with that too? Uh, calling things at the line of scrimmage, getting guys ready. That's something else you keep an eye on. Remember, Spencer Poole, has been on the side. We don't know how much he's going to participate in the scrimmage tonight. We'll have to wait and see. So Nick Gates could get some very valuable reps. But yeah, I think Daniel Jones is someone you want to see put together a couple of nice, long, consistent drives where he makes a few good throws on the same drive and, and has a consistent day. Protects the football, doesn't turn it over. He obviously, he's not going to get stripped or hit during this game, despite the fact that some fans think that's what Joe Judge was trying to say over the course of the week. He will have the red jersey on. No one's hitting the quarterback. Uh, no one's putting so- uh, bars of soap in the socks to wail on him after after the game, though I would like to do that to Lance every now and then. Um, in your dreams, but yeah. go ahead. Yes. <laughs> but I think it's important to see how comfortable Jones looks in the system, how smooth it goes, how accurate he is, how decisive he is, how quickly does he get rid of the ball. Those are the types of things I'll be looking for out of the quarterback in this new system and just have a feel for how both sides of the the ball look, right? And again, this is something that we're not going to get a great look at. We're not going to see on these TV broadcasts a lot of wide shots showing formations and stuff like that. We can't really report on it, but at least it'll give us a feel of what we're going to see when the games get going because as a point, guys, I made before on the program – 
The NFL still has a lot of rules about reporting in terms of formations, player assignments, and things like that that still you have to adhere to that apply to the scrimmage. So just keep that in mind as you see the reports on this thing and when you watch the video of it on Saturday night. All these teams are trying to maintain their secrecy and the advantage from that secrecy as they uh, head into the regular season. But, yeah, look, I think Jones is important. And I just think, look, the, it's all about the quarterback in this league. And you want to see him play well. And Jones in a new system, you want to see how he looks in a semi-live situation for the first time since last December. 201-939-4513. 201-939-4513. Hashtag Giants Chat if you want to get in touch with us that way you can. For now, let's go to Phil in Florida, who's on the line, wants to talk about the Giants linebackers. Phil, what's going on? Hey, guys. How you doing? Doing thanks well, Phil. Hey, thanks for calling uh, in. What's up? Uh, I got two quick questions for you, both regarding the linebacking core. Sure. Um, so we keep hearing a lot uh, during training camp about these two late-round picks, Tay Crowder and TJ Brunson. Uh, extremely excited about those two guys. But I actually have a question about the two linebackers we took prior to those two in the, I think, fifth and sixth round. Uh, that's Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin. Uh, my first question was just, have we heard anything about – I mean, I haven't heard these names. I'm always reading and listening to you guys. Haven't heard a thing about these two. Have you guys heard anything? Um, you know, are they are they having good camps? Are they are they healthy? What, what's the deal? No, they're healthy. They're out there. They're playing. Cam Brown was on the side recently. We'll see if he's available for, for, for tonight's scrimmage. But, look, he's someone that is, is being coached. They're all being coached as edge rushers, or at least those two guys are. So it's a very crowded position. So – you're not seeing a ton of reps, really, because they're stuck behind, you know, Fackrell and Golden and Zimenez and Carter. So, Paul, we've seen them a little bit. They've gotten opportunities, but it's not necessarily something that we've seen them get a, a bunch of snaps at those spots just because it's such a crowded position. And, look, Coughlin's a little bit undersized as an edge rusher, mm -hmm. and Cam Brown didn't play that position at Penn State. He was more of an off-ball outside linebacker. So, I think those guys are going to be special teams players this year. Obviously, they can step in if injuries happen. But I would be surprised if we saw them in prominent roles in the defense early this year. In short, both guys are very raw. That's really what John's trying to tell you. And there's no doubt that Coughlin in particular has to add some strength. I mean, he is quick. I'm not going to tell you he's, he's not. He's a good athlete, too. He, he really is. He's got some bend to him, and, and he gets he gets upfield in a hurry. The problem is right now... Uh, if a big lineman it gets in his way, there's not a whole lot he can do because he just doesn't have the strength or the moves to be able to, to penetrate. So, you know, I look at both of those guys right now, and I'd have no problem if they redshirted them. I mean, if they can contribute on specials and be on the 53, that's fine. If they wind up getting redshirted, that's fine with me too. And then we'll see what, what happens down the road. I think they're both guys you're, you're intrigued by. You'd like to see if they can develop. But to expect them to actually give you defensive snaps in 2020, I think is a bit much. I think you like the athleticism. You like the length. And you like the upside on special teams. And if you could get those contributions from guys that are your late-round picks in year one, I think that's certainly nothing to complain about. You know, how many teams could say that they take sixth- and seventh-round guys and all of a sudden they insert them in the defense and they play a boatload of snaps in year one? I think that's extremely rare in the NFL. So these are two developmental players, and you hope that they continue to show the coaching staff something over the course of the year. And if by year two they get a good command of the scheme and are ready to spread their wings a little bit more, I think that would be a positive takeaway. I think we also need to be careful, guys, just on a side note, not to change the topic, but, you know, we tend to get excited 
excited about some of these late rounders or guys that may flash in a scrimmage or a preseason game. And from covering the Giants for many years, we've seen it time and time again. And I'm going to bring up a name, Adewale Ajomo. Remember him, guys? Okay? Remember how good of a preseason he had? I and thought you were going to say Corey Washington. No, I'm, I'm going to go with the defense. I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. Let's okay. do apples to apples, not oranges okay. to oranges, okay? Sure. Adewale Ajomo. You guys remember him, okay? He yeah. had an outstanding preseason, did he not? He sure. was flashing all over the place. And then what happened in the regular season? He was not playing and he wasn't active. And everybody was calling up every week and asking us, why is he not active? Why is he not playing? And the reason was because he wasn't showing much of anything in practice to give the coaching staff confidence to then play him in games. So I'm not saying that Cam Brown and Carter Coughlin are there, okay, and the work ethic's not there. Don't misinterpret my words. My point is let's at least be careful with the expectations with young players who sometimes need to go through the growing pains and also in a very unconventional offseason when they don't have the typical luxuries that normally sixth and seventh round picks have. Yeah, no question about it. Jim, you got anything else for us? Yeah, um, I, just to follow up with that, I was I was going to ask, you kind of touched on it, but I was going to ask their styles of play compared to uh, the T.J. Bronson and Tay Crowder. So so those two guys, if I understand you correctly, are both outside guys as opposed to Crowder and Bronson who are both competing for the for that second inside linebacker spot now that Mayo's gone? What do you guys think? Well, I look, I, I think that what we've seen of Brunson and Crowder, and again, we're not allowed to get too much into specifics as to what we're seeing at practice, but it looks to me like those guys are going to be used in sub-package situations uh, to make use of their versatility and their ability to play in space. Do not make the mistake of thinking they are an outside linebacker or an inside linebacker. I think you're better off just suggesting that they are a defender in the back seven. And I'm not trying to be funny, but if you talk to Patrick Graham, and he's not joking when he says, you know, we might be a 3-4 or a 2-5 or a 1-6. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be this year. And here's the thing about Tate Crowder, by the way. I wouldn't rule out perhaps, you know, special teams play for him. Keep in mind, he was a running back before he had to switch positions to the defensive side of the ball. He's got athleticism as well. The, to me, the outlook of the group of players that we're talking about right now is, once again, if you're Thomas McGahee, you also have some flexibility in who you may want to throw out there depending on how the roster plays out. And that's where I see the most significant impact coming from a lot of these players we're talking about, at least in year one. Awesome. Awesome. Great answer, guys. I'll leave you with this. Uh, you guys touched on what what I'm most excited about, which is the secondary, which is seeing Valentine and Holmes. I'm also very excited to see the competition between Andrew Thomas, Cam Fleming, who's been a beast, and Matt Parrott. I think it's going to be awesome to see those three alternate at tackles tonight. It's going to be fun. going to be fun to watch tomorrow. Thanks a lot, guys. Hey, appreciate the call, Jim. Good stuff. It should be fun. You know, you get to see these rookies in a situation, and this is the first time the fans can see any of this. I mean, to me, if I'm a fan, I'm psyched. You know, for us, we've had a chance to, to see a lot of this. Paul and I, especially Lance, hasn't really had a chance to come down here much because of a lot of the rules. So uh, it's just an exciting thing for fans. Lance, I know you must be excited to see these guys on the field really for, like, the first time. Absolutely. I mean, I'm looking forward to anything that resembles somewhat of high-speed football. I, I think, you know, at this point, there's only so much you can take away from practice that you want to get a feel for what these guys could do when they're let loose and they get to apply what they've been learning on practice field as well as in the film room and put it onto a game situation. So, you know, I always say this. There's only so much that you can read into the preseason in general. I get it. We're all itching for football. No matter what these players show us, though, tonight, next Friday, and so forth, 
we're really going to know where this team stands once they start going up against teams that they're preparing for, such as the Steelers, the Niners, and the Bears in the early stage of the season. That's when you're really going to get a good handle on where these players stand. But this is all we have to go by right now, and this is, once again tonight, the closest thing to a game situation. So if you're going to compare that to practice and the other overlooped, boring aspects of training camp, then to me, this is definitely the cake. There's no doubt about it. All right, let's stick with the linebacker position. Pete in Florida Keys wants to talk about Lorenzo Carter. What's up, Pete? Hey, guys. How you doing today? Doing well. What's up? Great. Um, so I just read that Lorenzo Carter is actually taking snaps at middle linebacker. How's he looking? Uh, who said that? I read it online. Don't believe everything you read. Let, let me put it this way. We're not allowed to talk where guys line up, and we're not telling you where Lorenzo Carter's lining up. I just be very uh, careful about what you read online. How about that? Okay, and it, was, it wasn't from a beat writer. It was just uh, an article online there. Yep, uh, okay. so I'd be very careful about that then. <laughs> Cle- clearly, <laughs> somebody yeah, who, uh, clearly somebody who has not been on the property. I got you. Now, here's yeah, the thing. The funny thing is that, that here's the thing, Pete. A lot of times, and again, this is not me talking about formations. I'm not saying where anyone's lining up. But Patrick Graham <laughs> yeah. will be very creative in moving guys around on individual plays. So maybe yes. at one point they might see somebody in a certain spot. It doesn't necessarily mean uh, that they're playing middle linebacker. Yeah. Gotcha. I think that's okay. fair, right, Paul? Is, is, I think is that that's a fair a, way to say it? That's a great way to say it, John. Guys will be okay. coming from all different directions with all types of angles, and it does not mean that that's the spot that they are assigned to. Gotcha. Uh, next quick question for you. In your opinion, who do you think is the best cover linebacker for tight ends and running backs on the roster right now? What do you guys think? Ooh, boy, that's tough. That's what I'm it, might, it might be Lorenzo <laughs> Carter. He certainly showed flashes of it when he played the Niners a few years ago, and they asked him to defend the running back. I mean, that's the play that I always turn to. I think Blake Martinez is going to be asked to do perhaps some coverage. I know he wasn't asked to do a lot at Green Bay. It was more of a cleanup type of guy, but I think just based on default. And, you know, we'll have to see where Ryan Connolly is once the season starts because, you know, that's somebody that at least showed some flashes last year. I don't know if i put him at the best position right now. I would probably lean towards where Paul went. I think based on experience in NFL regular season games, when you assess the roster right now, probably you'd put Lorenzo Carter there, and then Connolly and Martinez I would put second on the list. Okay, cool. Thanks. Uh, one last question before I jump. Um, I did miss the beginning part of the show, but I wanted to know individually what are each of you looking for when we're watching scrimmage? Like, what are, you, what are you going to be focusing in on? Well, and Pete, yeah, yeah it's funny. Yeah, I appreciate it, Pete. Thanks a lot for the call. And this is something that we, that we did mention at the top of the show. Uh, and I think Paul and Lance took the low-hanging fruit, the defensive back, specifically the cornerback position. Lance had the offensive line, and I had Daniel Jones. And is there a fourth issue, guys, that you think is particularly important that we should be keeping an eye on besides those three that, that I think, as I said, are kind of the obvious ones? Well, don't you kind of want to see how they're going to replace McKinney? I mean, we think that they were going to use a lot of three safety packages this year. Well, right now, if I said to you, John, who is the third safety? Are you sure who that third guy is? I have an idea. 
uh, okay, that's fine. I'm I'm not sure. No, I'm and, not sure. And I either, and I and I also and I also think it's going to change week to week. Oh, I, I think, don't think it's going to be the same guy. Well, I think the question is, are you going to see as many three safety packages if McKinney's not there? Because to the point that, and I, and I made this point in, in the mailbag that's going to come out this weekend. Right, you play three safeties because you have a bunch of safeties that can do different things and be really good at it, right? Right. Do you have that third safety that can quote unquote replace Xavier McKinney, which by the way, guys with his skill sets that are high second round picks that can do all these different things don't grow on trees. So yeah. does Patrick Graham have to adjust what his scheme's going to be based on the talent available to him, which lands to something he's really preached since the day he stepped into the building. Yeah, I think that's a very good point. If you don't have a safety that has a similar skill set of McKinney, you could say you have options, and I think the Giants certainly have options, but they don't have a duplicate of McKinney at this point. So if the philosophy has been, as you just alluded to, John, and Joe Judge has said this too, it's not just Patrick Graham, we're not going to take a scheme and then we lose a player and we just squeeze in the player to where the other guy got hurt. We look at the player's strengths and weaknesses and we adjust the scheme accordingly. So as you just laid out beautifully, I would agree with you. I don't think that he's looking at it and saying, who's going to be McKinney in this defense? It's who's more than capable that we could trust as that third safety or maybe we take a corner and we utilize the corner in that safety position and based on what that player could do effectively, we're going to have to change what we're doing within the defense, but of course, if you, I, if you use a corner in that safety position, it's not really a three safety package anymore, is it? Well, I guess I'm <laughs> no, throwing out no, love. No, he, like he, love to me could be that pseudo corner slash safety. Uh, so here's you could take what really, somebody else. I guess is what I'm talking. I got about. you. Here's what it really comes down to, fellas, and and I narrowed my scope a little too much with my nomenclature. What it really comes down to is who is the dime. Is the dime going to be a third safety? Right. Is the dime going to be a fourth corner? Correct. Is the dime going to wind up being a hybrid, maybe one of those extra linebackers that we're talking about, because they believe that that extra linebacker is going to play kind of a jumbo safety. And that's the thing. You honestly have the opportunity to go linebacker, safety, or corner with that dime position. And that dime position is really going to be a rover to be perfectly frank with you, more than he's going to be a safety or anything else, he'll be a rover. And who is the guy best suited to play rover? John, you you think you know who the best rover is on this team? I don't Uh, know yet. No, best rover, no. I don't know the answer to that. My point is that I think if I had to guess right now, I think I can make a reasonable guess as who I think the third safety on the depth chart is. Now, is that the guy they're going to use in dime? That I I don't know the answer to that particular question. But, yep, we'll see. And to your point... You know, you can use guys in different ways here. Maybe you just go nickel all the time, and, and, and you don't go dime, and you use two linebackers instead of, you know, six defensive backs. So there's a lot of different ways you could, you know, kind of peel the onion off. Well, like one guy, for example, Montre Hardage, who we haven't brought up, he's somebody that could play both positions. I think he, that's a good name to bring up. I think it's Safety a very good name. To br- I think that's a really good name to bring up because he's been getting some burn, and he's got the familiarity with the Dolphins because of Patrick Graham. Exactly. Yeah, and he played safety and corner at Northwestern. So this is not that far removed from what they asked him to do at college. That's a guy that I would say you want to keep close tabs on in terms of maybe what he does tonight, how they utilize him, because he would be somebody, don't misinterpret my words, we're not preaching that he's McKinney, okay, 2.0. But what I'm saying is he's got enough versatility where if Graham is looking for that Rover guy, apparently Paul played a lot of Red Rover when he was a child, which is good to know. We're learning a lot about well, Tino. Well, let's think about it. The program. Wouldn't you always want to send Tino over? Yes, absolutely. He'd <laughs> absolutely be the guy. And I'd also be having my arms stretched out, okay, like 
Stretch Armstrong to make sure that he wouldn't come over if he was coming over to my side. Just so we're clear on that. Wow. Yes. Wow. Uh, Did you play hopscotch as a kid too? Oh, I played it all. I was a renaissance man. Mr. Versatility. Come I never on. really played hopscotch. I know about hopscotch, obviously. I just never happened to play hopscotch. Did you play hopscotch, Tatino? No, I did not play hopscotch. But I will tell you this. Lance, if it will make you feel more comfortable, some coaches also call that position a joker, and you're more than welcome to use that if you like. Because I like I know, both of them. I approve. I, well, I also know you're a little bit more Batman-oriented than you would be to children's games. Well, Batman, Joker, I think they're all in the same family. Well, I don't I really say understand that, well, what you're trying to say. Well, I, I say this because I like to call Batman and Robin with pass rushers. Yes, we've so, had that conversation right, multiple right, times. Right, right. Yes, so if absolutely. it'll make you feel more comfortable, we can also call the rover the Joker because that is a I, term that is I'm commonly totally used. I'm totally fine with that. I like where you're going with that. We'll, okay. we'll stay in the DC comic area. Yeah, so fine. from yes. now on, I'm going to call that spot the Joker, okay? We'll make, Very it, good. we'll make it consistent. Well, and on a daily basis, I feel like a guy that's running Arkham Asylum, so I guess that makes everything kind of <laughs> even all, all around. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy exactly yeah this is where the show okay. goes off the deep yeah. end you could blame me i was the one yeah, that went that there, was so. your fault yes. 201 4513 all right let's start doing some defensive over-unders here guys which is always fun uh Fiegels and i did this like a month and a half ago and i thought i remember doing it with you guys but yesterday a caller had me look up a couple of defense over-unders and i looked at the sheet i'm like oh wait a second i don't have anything down for the tino or lance for these guys so i figured you know what what better chance to do it than now before the season starts? Because we got to get our predictions, which will all be wrong, down on paper before the season starts. And it's actually better we waited because now we know Marcus Golden's going to be on the roster. So it'll make, make some level of adjustment here, which I did do with Jeff on the show earlier in the week yesterday. So, all right, let's start here. We're going to go sack numbers, okay? Over, under, sacks, individual players. Datino will start with you. Kyler Fackrell, over, under, four and a half. Under. Lance. I'll go over for Fackrell. Okay. I'm going to go under with the Tino on that. I worry about the number of snaps. All right. Yeah, I think it's a crowded I, position, John. A, You're 1,000% correct. It's I know, but crowded. I guess I, I'm thinking, is it too much to ask him to get five sacks this season? No. Uh, no. Look, I, you know, that's how I'm looking well, at it. That's why I picked four and a half. Yeah. Should, should you remind yourself, Lance, Connor Barwin had five the year before he came to the Giants. How did that work out? Yeah, Fackel's a little younger. You know, Connor Barwin was, you know, pushing. Yeah, Barwin was a little banged up, too. I understand, but Fackrell is going to have a hard time getting on the field. No, it could be a challenge. Well, we originally, before Golden came back, Paul, we had originally had that number at six, and I pushed it down because of Golden's arrival. So, all right, Leonard Williams. Lance, let's start with you. Three and a half, over or under? Ooh, boy. I'm going to go under. Because I could see it being three. I think he's going to get three also, which is why I went under. I think I know where Paul's going on this. Six, over. <laughs> he's so predictable. Oh, Times two. <laughs> he's so predictable. There's, there's no doubt in my mind he's going to get a half a dozen. So he's going to set a career high for sacks. No, he had seven with the Jets one year. Oh, he had year. seven with the Jets one yeah, year. Did. Okay, I That's the year that. he went to the Pro Bowl. That's right. Okay, fair enough. Lorenzo Carter, four and a half. Mr. Dettino, let's start with you, because I hear you're breathing heavily. (laughs) Yeah, you know, again, we're trying to figure out exactly how they're going to use him. He certainly has the talent to be over. I don't think there's any doubt about that. But how is he going to be employed in the scheme? I will say over. It's going to be close, but I'm going over. I think it's going to be, you know, Lance, why don't you go? I'm going back and forth here. 
Well, I'm going to go over too because I look at him and Fackrell in the same category. Now, granted, I understand Carter's probably going to play more snaps, but I see them both in that five to six ceiling category. So to ask Lorenzo Carter to get five sacks, I don't think that's asking for much this season, regardless of his utilization in this game. Mm. It's very, very tough. It's very, very tough. Let me take a look. I'm curious to see, off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, but I can, I can check it right now. I'm curious to see how many snaps Lorenzo Carter played last year. Last year, let's see, Lorenzo Carter played a lot of snaps for the Giants. He played 832. He averaged like 50 to 60 snaps per game. And last year, how many sacks did he finish with Paul Carter last year? I thought he had four, didn't he? Yeah, that... That sounds about right. I'll, I'll double. I, I'm looking at PFF's numbers here, and their numbers aren't, you know, official um, NFL stats. Well, by the way, so John, just think, real quickly, yeah. in terms of the snaps, I didn't mean to interrupt no, you. Please. Do those numbers, I think those are the combination of his special teams and defensive snaps, because I'm seeing on okay, defense. Okay, hold on. Let me take a look at that. You might be yeah. right. Stand by. Um, in terms of he played 89 special team snaps. Defensively, he played 694 snaps. That's correct. You're right. Yeah. So defensively, he actually no, he played let's 723. See, 723. You're yeah. right, exactly. 100. 65% of the yes. defensive snaps. That's a lot. I don't think he's going to play more than that this year, right? So last year on defense, he finished the year. He had four and a half sacks. Four and a half year. sacks, which is probably why I put the number of four and a half. And he had four the previous year, just to provide perspective. All right, I think because of the creative blitzing that Graham is going to use, I think it's going to give him a couple of easier opportunities, so I'm going to go over for four and a half as well. But if it's four, it would not surprise me. Dexter Lawrence, three and a half. Over or under? Paul, let's start with you. Ooh. I'm going over on this, by the way. I, I think Dex gets to four or five this year. You're gonna go, so you're you're saying four and a half is your is your line? No, no, three and a half is the line. Well, three I, and a half is your line. I, I'm going over. I think he will get four or five. Oh, the, yeah. The, the, then I'm definitely going over too. At three and a half, I'm definitely going over. I'm gonna go under. I could see him finishing with three, similar to Leonard Williams. Okay, let's go to O'Shane Zimenez. You'll see a common trend here. Four and a half, over or under? Lance Meadow. Let's start with you. Well, here we go. It's that Lorenzo Carter, Kyler Fackrell conversation where you got to take into consideration the snap counts and so forth. For O'Shane, remember, two of the sacks came in one game. It's the B.J. Hill school of thought. For all of you that keep referring to that five-and-a-half sack season, he had three in one of those games. Perspective, That's okay? Lance, Very important. Lance, that is some excellent journalism right there. Thank you. Yes, I know. I do my studying up on things here and there <laughs> whenever I have the time to do it. But anyway, getting back to the point at hand. I will go with respect to Zimenez. I'll go under, and I'll say he'll finish with four. Paulie? Mm, this is another problem with snap count. He's got the ability to do more, but I, I think the snap count's going to be inhibited because I think Marcus Golden is going to come back and ball out. In fact, Golden, you're going to get to next, and I'm telling you now, Johnny's going to be double digits. Uh, I will go. Uh, I will go under for Zimenez. I'm going to go over for Zimenez. I think he might have the best pure pass rush package in terms of athleticism of the group. I like his combination. I think he'll get enough snaps. All right, before we get to your guy, Paul, I got to go Dalvin Tomlinson first. We haven't touched on on, on Big Dalvin yet. Mm. We'll put him at three and a half. I'm going to go under. 
because I think he's going to be at that kind of traditional nose tackle spot where it's really tough to get sacks. Agreed. Lance? Yeah, I'm with you too. Uh, and, and you could tell I went that way in terms of really most of the guys that I anticipate playing in the middle. Okay, and then Marcus Golden. I put it, well, I guess I know where Paul's going, so no, no <laughs> drama here. I no him, drama. I have him at seven and a half. Paul, you're going over, obviously. Lance, how about you? Yeah, I'm going to go over two. Now, can he get another double-digit sack season? Ooh, I don't know if I'd go that high. I'd probably say my estimate would be more in the, what'd you say, seven and a half was your seven number? Seven and a half. I'm going to go nine for Marcus Golden this season. I'm going to go under because I think you're going to see a lot of snaps for Carter and, and Zimenez. So I think he's going to finish with around seven. Eight or nine wouldn't surprise me, but I, I'm going to go under here just um, on a whim. Okay, here are some other ones very quickly. Who will lead the team in interceptions? Jeff Fiegel selected Bradbury. I select Julian Love. Where are you going, Mr. Detino? Darnay Holmes. Okay, I like it. Mr. Meadow. That is a good one. See, Bradbury's not a big interception guy, guys, if you go yeah. back to his Carolina days. So I understand where Jeff went with that, but I'm a little bit leery because I would think – Let's face it. You look at this defense right now, I'm probably going elsewhere with the ball as opposed to targeting James Bradbury, right? You want to attack the younger options. So I just don't know if he's going to have enough at-bats, as I like to call it, and with McKinney out of the picture because of the injury. You know what? I'll throw out a wild card here. How about Jabril Peppers leads the team in interceptions? Okay. We got four different names. I like it. I like it. All right. Who will lead the team in sacks? Jeff is taking Golden. Land, uh, Paul, you're obviously taking Marcus Golden as <laughs> yes. well. I think we know where he's going. Yes, Mr. Meadow, what do you think? Well, I mean, it's, it's hard to really go out on a limb here. I mean, based on what you're throwing out, I would say I'm going to go with Marcus Golden too. How can you not go with the proven commodity and the guy that's got All the right. best track record? I'm rolling the dice. I'm going O'Shane Zimenez. Okay, interesting. Rolling the dice. I'm probably going to be wrong, but sometimes you have to be bold. This is an easy one. Leading tackler. Both Jeff and I are taking Blake Martinez. I'm assuming you guys are too. How do you not? I mean, the guy's averaged over 140 <laughs> tackles the last three years. Yeah. Now, more interesting, who will be the second leading tackler on the team? Paul, let's start with you. Oh, Jabril Peppers. That's exactly who I was going to say as well. You know, I'm tempted to put Julian Love down. I really am. But Peppers was my initial thought, too. So well, that is chalk across it for the whole thing. All right, team stats. We have three left. Very fast. So we got two calls in line. We'll get to you guys in a second. Total interceptions for the team. Ten and a half. Jeff went under. I am going under as well because I think it'll be a very heavy man-to-man scheme and it's tough to get interceptions in a man-to-man defense. So let's go to you first, Mr. Dettino. Ten and a half total team interceptions, over or under? I'm going to go over. Uh, I'm figuring somewhere in the vicinity of 12 or 13. Okay. Lance? I'm going to go under as well. I'm with you. I think that there's just maybe not going to be as many opportunities, especially when you have a lot of young guys on this defense. I think the key is the communication, the comfort with the scheme, and not necessarily telling these guys to go outside of what they're asked to do to make those opportunistic plays. I think Holmes could certainly surprise us. They've given the opportunities. As I mentioned, Jabril Peppers is a guy that's going to play a lot of snaps, but even if those two have notable seasons, I still think it's going to be asking for much to get into that. 12, 13 category. You know, Lance, I like your reasoning, but here's the 
flip side to that, and it actually goes in conjunction with what you just said, the problem that I'm seeing here, the Giants have a pretty stout rush defense. They had one last year, and I expect it to be good and maybe even better this year, which means teams are going to be very tempted to throw the ball a lot, especially against a suspect secondary and a pass rush that we have not seen in a couple of years. So the more balls that are in the air, the more chances that people have to pick them off. Boy, maybe I should have done this a little bit better. Oh, that's preseason. That's where it goes. Season. Here we go. All right, so last year. Last year they had 10, if that's what you were looking for. I was for. looking at Miami, actually, for oh, okay. last year. Last year Miami had 13 team interceptions. Just FYI. Okay, well, that had. was the number Paul threw out. He threw yes. out 12 or 13. So. Exactly. So that's what they had. And 10 would put you in the button, the bottom of the league. Like there were, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, eight teams that had 10 or fewer. So odds are they probably will have more than 10 and a half. I'll, I'll stick with my You know what I'd be curious about, under. John, before you move on? Yeah. Because yeah. I'm bringing the stats up because they lost a couple of guys in the secondary. I'm curious the breakdown of those interceptions, and oh, I'm looking at it right now. I don't know the answer to that. So of the 13, just to give you more perspective, I'm seeing if somebody had a notable season. No, it wasn't who I expected. I, I wanted to see if Minka Fitzpatrick or Xavier Howard made up some of those before they were out of the equation. And actually, from what I'm seeing, it was pretty much distributed all across the board with nobody having more than two and a lot of guys having one. So it was the spread the wealth mentality for Miami last season. Okay, so now let's go to sacks. And this is the number we've talked about all offseason, so I just went with it. 40 and a half. Over or under? I'm going under 40 and a half. Yeah, I'm going to go under two. So will I. Okay, Jeff went over. So one verse three there. And then finally, total defensive rank, yards allowed per game. (laughs) Will they rank above or below 22 and a half? So if they're 23rd or worse in total defense, you're going to go under. If they're 22nd or better in total defense, you're going to go over. Paul. Uh, they will probably rank somewhere in the vicinity of 1920. So you're going to go over. Lance? Yeah, I can see them finishing up there too. So I'll stay in Paul's territory, and I'll go over. All right, and Jeff and I both went under on that one. So all right, we'll see what happens. Those are our defensive over-unders. Always a fun thing, the game to play, and we can go at, go at them at the end of the year and see how everybody did. 201-939-4513. 201 939 you're listening to Big Blue Kickoff Live on Giants.com and the Giants mobile app. But again, the archive can be found at Giants.com slash podcast or the Giants mobile app on all your favorite podcast platforms as well. Well, for some reason, the calls are not loading here on my document. Oh, there we go. Danny in California. He's up next. Hey, Danny, how are you? Hi, guys. I'm doing great. How are you today? What's going on? Hey, listen to you guys almost every day, um, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on the, the bottom half of the wide receiver group that might make the active roster. So do, do they typically keep six guys for wide receivers on the active roster? That's been a normal number, yes. I think, if you take the average. Especially if one of those six is a very good special teams player, then yes. If there's no, right. good, if there's no special teams guys, it might only be five. Okay, and that's exactly where I was going. It seems like we know who the top three are, and it seems like Coleman – probably wrapped up the fourth spot. So for the last two, there's like five or six guys that have flashed at various times, but I don't know anything yet about how they're performing for special teams. So from what you guys may have seen, 
what do you think, which two do you think have the best performance in both of those areas that might give them the nod for the active roster yeah, and here's at this the, point? No, it's, it's a great question. And I think here's the problem, though. Unless it, special teams are hard in practice, right? Because you really have to go full speed and it gets very physical, something that doesn't really happen as much in practice in terms of special teams. So I think the scrimmage is very important for that. So, you know, I think Austin Mack is a guy that can be a gunner. I think a guy like um, C.J. Board is somebody you might see be a gunner. And this is something, Paul, we've talked about a lot just watching practice together. All of these young receivers have had their moments doing different things. It's going to be a real tough cut down. You know, David Sills has been a gunner too, you know, over the course of his career. So it's going to be a tough thing to figure out which one of these guys are going to make that final roster. And Bachman could probably do that as well. You know, if, if caller, if you've watched any of our inside look shows, uh, the uh, live to tape practice shows we've been doing on Giants.com, I, I've been very effusive in my praise for the receivers. I think it's probably the deepest position in training camp. And there are so many guys at that position who, in my mind, have a make-it-great. I'm not talking about maybe being a starter or even a top three. But when I say make-it-great, that means they can be a top six on somebody's NFL roster on Sunday. And that's the problem. The Giants have too many make-it-grade wide receivers right now. The good news is, whoever they don't keep, there's a 16-member practice squad. And the beauty of this is, and I know Lance and I got into a big debate about this a couple of weeks ago, each week, teams are going to be able to protect four guys off their practice squad, which prohibits them from being signed by somebody else, even if that other team wants to promote them to the active roster. So there is a level of protection where you can hold on to these practice squad guys and say, look, this guy's good. I may not be playing him this Sunday, but I'm going to forcibly keep him in the building. I suspect the Giants will use uh, those spots on wide receivers quite frequently. If you look at last season, because uh, I looked up the final 53-man roster, they kept six guys. But keep in mind, Alonzo Russell was one of them, and then he was waived because the Giants wound up claiming and were awarded on waivers Cody Core from the Bengals, who they got right before the season. So For special it, teams purposes. Correct. Well, that's why I'm emphasizing that, because if you look at the six guys, they had Cody Latimer and Cody Core. Okay, that's two special teams guys. No, let's throw Russell Shepard in. That's three guys of the six that you knew you could throw out some element of special teams. And then, of course, they had Sterling Shepard, Darius Slade, and Benny Fowler. Keep in mind, Golden Tate started the season last year on the suspended list. Okay, so now you have Golden Tate in the equation. You, of course, have Shepard and Slade in. And then it's going to become who's going to be the gunner. Do you like any of these guys also as return options? Let's not forget about that. And by the way, as a quick side note, when we were talking earlier, guys, about other things you're looking for tonight, I'm looking for who's going to be lining up as return men and kickoff men because I think that may be an indication of who they want to take a look at or who perhaps they have some confidence in. So that's another element that's tied in to this wide receiver conversation. And Lance, on top of that, by the way, Fiegel's mentioned this on this show yesterday. He goes, take a look at who the starters are on your special teams units. Sure. That's going to be a real hint as to who's going to make this team. Absolutely, because that goes yeah. to show you who they have confidence in in terms of coverage. And remember, Bingo. Cody Core is out. Michael Thomas is not on the roster. There are opportunities on this roster right now to sell to the staff. Forget return guys. Who can chase down, tackle, and cover? That's going to be the key. Who's going to make that wide receiver spot? Especially with Joe Judge, the special teams coach, yep. as your head coach. You know what I mean? He's going to care about that stuff.
you know, I got to chip in here with my guy, uh, Austin Mack, who is the most physical of the tight ends on the depth chart. Or receivers. And, uh, <laughs> oh, did I say tight ends? Yes, that's okay. I did say. Uh, thank you, John. No, welcome. No, and, and, you know, he is the most physical of, uh, and the roughest, toughest, grittiest of the wide receivers who are on the roster. And I would like to believe that that will translate to special teams for him because that could be the difference in where he stands on the depth chart. Well, the other thing is you brought up David Sills, both of you earlier. Sills is an athlete, okay? This is a former quarterback in college who moved to wide receiver. So this is another player. The reason why I find him intriguing is if you ask Thomas McGahee, He'll take an athlete any day of the week and twice on Sunday because if you tell him you'll find something for him to do, he's not going <laughs> to complain. So, you know, this is a jack-of-all-trades type of guy who I would look to see what they tap into tonight and what type of roles he assumes because you can't, as the old story goes, first of all, you can't teach height, which we brought up way too often on this program when it comes to the wide receiver position, okay? It's like beating a dead horse. But you also can't teach athleticism. And some guys just have it. Other guys just don't. Sills has athleticism. The question is, do they have confidence in him doing other things outside of that receiver spot? Go ahead, Danny. Yeah, great stuff, guys. A uh, lot, of, lot of stuff you introduced there. It's great to hear. And I'm really encouraged about the depth in this group because – as you know, I mean, well, however the season starts, it's going to be fluid through the air. Lots of things could happen, and to have that depth on the practice squad is going to be great. So I'm, I'm really encouraged about that. And, and I just, as a decide, it's so interesting that all, I think me and all of us are, are really excited to watch a scrimmage game tonight. I mean, it's just such a crazy year. Uh, but I'm, I'm really pumped to see what we see, and especially with this coach and staff, I just think, I think our, our arrow is pointing in the right direction. So... Keep up the good work, guys. Love hearing you, and uh, let's hope for a good season. Thank you, Danny. Appreciate the call, my friend. Good stuff, and we're looking forward to it, too. And I, I'm not surprised that Lance is upset that we like to mention people's heights all the time. It's something that, it's a... <laughs> well, no, I brought very, it up, too, so I'm very, guilty. It's a very, Listen. very sensitive subject. I no, understand. Yes, I know. I'm going to cry in the corner after this program. Because I'm going to be all choked up. All yes. jokes aside, you know me too well. All, all jokes aside, with Sills, yes, he's tall, but he's also a thicker guy. I mean, I'm, let me look at the roster here, Paul. What is he? Do you have one in front of you? What is he listed at, Sills? I got it right here. He's listed at two eleven, and he's six three. So, if you want to have a gunner, you want a guy that can be a little bit physical, getting down that field. So, I think Sills fits the body type you would want from that type of position. He's been praised by the coaching staff in our media sessions. Paul is a smart guy. Yep. So you hope he can handle that part of the special team. So I think that if he can fill that role, I think that'll go a long way for him towards making the 53. Well, you know, let's face it. We could talk all we want about special teams, guys like Cody Core, who can down the ball very effectively, and that is a tremendous weapon. But the other part of this is who can actually make tackles. Yeah, that's true. Okay, and, and we sometimes forget that because we get so enamored when a guy downs the ball inside the five-yard line. And generally, by the way, wide receivers don't have a lot of tackling people training. No, they don't. They do not. Yeah. No. Which, which is why, you know, I do, bring up, I do bring up Austin Mack because he is very rugged and gritty and tough. I have yet to see him attempt to tackle anybody. I, I hope I get to see that because it would go a long way into helping his value on yeah. specials. But and Mac, by the way, you know, like Sills, he's Paul, he's he's two fifteen. So again, he's the bigger guy that can do those type of physical things. Yeah, but only six one, and that's the thing about him. He's six one with ninety one percentile uh, arm length which gives him the opportunity to have a larger box to get 50-50 balls to go up and get jump balls. He's you know he's kind of deceiving in terms of like Hakeem Nicks 
Hakeem was not a 6'3", 6'4", receiver. He was like 6'2", but his arm length allowed him to play bigger. Max arm length lets him play bigger, but he's also got some some meat on his bones, some physicality. That's why I'm just I just really dig this guy, man. Yeah. That's why he's my top dark horse. He is also technically listed as six two, by the way. I, I, yeah, I, I are think, they? I think he's six one and like seven inches, and they round up or down based on yeah, whether I have or not you're over six. six. As well. So he is technically yeah. listed at six two. Okay, not, not that it really matters, but I just figured I'd get it right. Two no, 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 that's fine. I, I was that was that a combine measurement? No, that is on the Giants roster that I'm looking at. Right Giants now. measurement. Okay. Yes. Uh, 201-939-4513. Aaron is in Brielle, New Jersey. Joins us next on Giants.com on Big Blue Kickoff Live. What's up, Aaron? Hey, guys. Uh, first time, long time. Thank uh, you for Lance, calling I in. Apologize. Yeah, no problem. Uh, Lance, I apologize. I'm here to talk about height again. Um, <laughs> no worries. So, Not uh, a problem. Yeah, I've been hearing a lot of positive, positive things about um, Darnay Holmes coming out of camp. Sounds like you know he's in line to potentially get started reps at the uh, slot corner position. I just want to get you guys a uh, feel on how tall he looks on the field because the way I see it, the uh, Eagles and Cowboys have some pretty tall options between Ortega Whiteside and uh, I forget who's the ca- Cowboys draft. CeeDee Lamb. But, you know, yeah, exactly. Lamb. So, you know. Gallup. I guess he probably too. can jump. Yeah, they got some height in, in Dallas. So I guess, you know, Holmes can jump, but, you know, ha- ha- what are you, the prospects of him covering, you know, six? You know, it's funny. It's a really good question, Aaron, because that was the kind of the hit on him. Oh, he's too small to play outside cornerback. With that, like, sitting and, and look, we're not as up close as he used to be in terms of watching practice, but Paul, just visually looking at him, he doesn't look small. No. No, no he doesn't. Uh, part of the reason is because he anticipates well, he's very aggressive, he's physical, doesn't shy away from anything at all. He, he is a competitor. Darnay Holmes, the best way I could describe it for you is that he's one of those defensive backs, and coaches love guys who do this. They think it's their ball. Yeah. When the ball is being thrown to their area, no, no, it's not the receiver's responsibility to catch it. It's mine. And he's it's not gonna, my ball. And he's not going to be bullied, by the way, either. He's very no. physical. Like, like, he's not like – and look, Dante Diallo was, like, was here for a long time, and you folks can see him on hard knocks too. Like, he was a guy, he was so slight, like, receivers would just kind of toss him around. But I haven't seen that happen with Darnay Holmes yet. Well, that's because Holmes, by the way, has about 40 pounds on Dante Dion. Yeah. So, I mean, that's that's fast. That's just the measurement. So, that's why. He's got more meat and potatoes on him. Wow. Yeah, nice. Uh, That's that's, uh, positive to hear. You know, I mean, I guess if he's not going to be able to be bullied by some of these bigger guys, you know, and he's got those type of ball hopping skills that, you know, maybe you guys got your over-unders wrong there for those interception totals. But uh, now, with that, now, with that said, I'm not sure I'm putting him out on a 6'4 wide receiver either. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah, that's still you. a tough matchup for him, you know? Yeah, quick question with that. So I haven't heard anything about Chris, what is it, Chris Williamson, one of the for draft picks that uh, the Giants had. Um, you guys have been able to scout him at all? Yeah, I don't think I don't think he's in the outside cornerback mix. I think he's more of those kind of crossover inside guys, whether it's slot or safety. That's kind of what he did in college. And based on everything we've heard and the way the coaches have talked about him, I think that's kind of the role you would expect to see him in this year. Remember, seventh round pick though, he's a developmental guy. And I know fans mm-hmm. like yeah. to ask about these seventh round draft picks. Odds are all of these seventh round draft picks are not going to make the final fifty three. It's just a math situation. It's gonna be hard. I'm not saying it's not going to happen, but don't be surprised if it doesn't. 
you know, it's a situation where uh, the top five or six or seven or eight guys even on your practice squad may wind up getting active snaps at some point during the year. And remember, you can you can protect those seventh-round picks if you want to get them onto the practice squad, too. You can They can be one of those four guys you protect each week. That's right. So, I, I to me, Williamson is, is a redshirt candidate as far as I'm concerned. And if you just look at recent history, too, a lot of the Giants' late picks have ended up on the practice squad or they had very limited snaps. Whether you think about Big George, R.J. McIntosh, just throwing out some late rounders in the past. Year one, go and look at the snaps or just their opportunities. Very limited, if anything. Yeah, Chris Slayton last year. There's another one. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. Appreciate the call, Aaron. Thanks, buddy. All right, final call of the show. Lance, it's your buddy. (laughs) Hi, Charlie. Hey John. Hey Lance. Hey Paul. Hi. Hey, I, I, <laughs> hey, I got an over and under for you guys. Okay. I'm gonna put this. I'm gonna put this at three and a half. Okay. Number of times you want to hear Charlie call the rest of the year. I'm going under. Under. <laughs> I don't care what the number you give me is. I'm going under. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Or the number of seconds yeah. we want to keep him on the show. How about that? <laughs> under. Yes. No. No. This is this is how. Over under three and a half, how many strip sacks are we going to get and also get the ball when when they fumble it? Over under three and a half. Well, you mean Giants defense over the course of the year? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a good question. Strip sacks, three and a half. And you're including any play where they sack the quarterback and he fumbles? It doesn't have to be like, you know, hit him as he throws or anything like that? Yeah, just a, a strip sack or he fumbles. I would but hope we have it's, to get the ball. I would hope we it's over. Okay, they have to recover it. Yeah, that makes it a little bit tougher. I mean, if it was just the actual strip sack, I'd go over. If you also have to recover it, I think you're looking at three or four. It's close. I, I would probably go under if the Giants also have to recover the fumble. Paul, what do you think? Can we bring O.C. out of retirement? <laughs> well, then it's over. <laughs> well, well, hold on, Paul. Don't, never throw that out to Charlie when he's on the line. That's low-hanging fruit for him. He'd bring back the 1954 Giants if he could. Come on. Oh, my. Uh, yeah, you know, I, I would hope it's over. I'm with John. I think if it's over, it's a good sign, and I'd like to believe that it will be. So I, I'll go over, but uh, I don't know that I have a lot of confidence in that one. Yeah, well, what a fluky stat, by the way, of all it really that Charlie is. brings up. See, now, I by mean, the way, where I thought Charlie was going to go here is how many times is Daniel Jones going to get strip-sacked, the way he's been hounding us about that for the past six months. That's where I thought you were going to go, Charlie. I'll be right with you. Oh, look at this. <laughs> hold on. Wait a minute. Wait, this is a first. Wait a minute. Hold on, Charlie. Wait a minute. Did you just have the audacity to put us second on the list no. while you're on the phone with us? I, I think he was telling somebody else, I'll be right with you, because he was on the phone with us. But But once you do that... I have to let you go. Yeah, 100%. (laughs) There can't be any interruptions during a Big Blue kickoff live call. I'm sorry. Charlie, as penalty, you must do a lap. (laughs) That's, by the way, for those of you counting at home, that's only like strike 17 for Charlie. And that's only for this offseason, by the way. I was looking up the numbers. I don't know if you guys even can access the numbers of how many strip sacks no, the can't. Giants had. Okay. No, but they had, just to give you an idea, and once again, this doesn't just include strip sacks. They had nine forced fumbles last season as a team. Do you know they, how many of those they recovered? I was just going to give you that. Okay. They recovered six of them, of the nine. Oh, so, yeah, so getting over three and a half on just quarterback hits, yeah. that's, that's— I think that's pushing it. That's a tall order. Yep, that's why I was going to say under. It's tall so. order. I think if it's just the force fumbled, you got a shot. If they have to recover it, too, I, I think it's, yeah. it's a big ask. It, 
It's a, it is a big ask, but you know what? If it turns out well, it's a very, very good sign. Gentlemen, enjoy the scrimmage tonight. Again, for the fans out there, you can tune in and see it for yourself on tape delay on WNBC at 6 o'clock on Saturday. And the archive will be put up on all of our digital platforms, the Giants app, Giants.com, our YouTube channel at 7 o'clock on Saturday night. So make sure you go and you tune in for that. For Paul Dottino on Lance Meadow, any last thoughts, guys, before we say goodbye? Play ball. Let's go. Let's Toss do up it. that pigskin. Enjoy it, folks. We'll see you on Monday on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Until then, stay safe.